This morning we're going to begin a journey in the book of Ephesus. So we're going to spend the summer in Ephesus together. So um, if you have your Bible, you can open to the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 1, and uh, we're going to go through the first um, 10 verses there together. Excuse me, I think we're going through the first 14 verses there. Uh, we're also going to be in Acts chapter 19 to kind of introduce things. But I, I want to share with you a, a story from, from my story, and, and that is there, were, there was a number of years ago, and, and I was pastoring uh, the church that used to occupy this building, and um, things were, were not going well, and, and I was kind of frustrated. And, and you know, we can be our own worst critic. Amen? We, we kind of have an internal dialogue a lot of times where we are thinking about ourselves and we are criticizing every little thing that we do. And it doesn't take much criticism from the outside to just amplify those voices. And I don't know if you've ever been that way, but you, know, you hear some criticism from, from someone outside of your own head and those things can just recycle and recycle in our minds and we can become very down on ourselves. And it can be any kind of thing. It can be on our appearance. It can be on our personality. It can be on our, our ability to follow through or whatever the case may be. But we can get really, really down on ourselves. And I was right there in the middle of that. I, I, I was, I mean, I was thinking about maybe I just need to get out of this line of work. I mean, I, I was ready to just throw in the towel. And Someone came in and saw me and visited with me. And, and actually, this was a person who was critical. One of the critical voices from outside came and sat down and talked with me. But he was there and he was, he was trying to be encouraging to me. Um, and, and he said something to me that really stuck with me. In fact, what he did was he, he had a gift for me. He, he brought me a bumper sticker. Now, I don't know about you, I've never been one to put a bumper sticker on my car. I, I don't know why, there's just something, I think it was my dad had, was real critical of bumper stickers growing up, and so it's like, I, I'm not allowed to do that. You know, I don't have any problem. I enjoy a lot of times reading a bumper sticker, and um, you know, I, I especially like the one that says uh, something like, my homeschooler is smarter than your honor roll student, or something like that. <laughs> you know, and you've seen the little stick figure things. I don't think the back dash is big enough for all the sticker, little stick figures we would need for our family. But I've never been one to put one on my car, and I, I didn't ever put this one on my car. But it was really, really basic. I mean, just a very simple thing. It was white background with red lettering on it, and it had like little clip art cross and dove or something on the sides. But it said very simply, Jesus loves me. That's it. Now, I grew up in the church. I, I, I'd gone through youth ministry, a children's ministry, youth ministry, young adult ministry. I had served as a youth pastor. I had served as a children's director. I had served. I'd done all kinds of things. I was the lead pastor of the church. And that message, Jesus loves me, in that moment was profound. You see, I, I was down on myself because I felt like I wasn't being a very effective pastor at the time. Because the things I was preaching, the things I was talking to people about, the things I was encouraging people to do, no one was doing, it felt like. I felt alone. I felt isolated. I felt like I was a failure. 
That wasn't true, but you know the feeling. Oftentimes, the very thing that you're lying to yourself about, that's the only evidence you see in the life around you. And what I was seeing around me, even though there was good things happening, even though there were good people around me, even though there were people who loved me and were in my corner and cared for me, all I saw was that loneliness. But those three simple words, Jesus loves me, turned things around for me at that point. I was in a low, low spot. And what it said to me was this, it was that it doesn't matter what's happening outside It doesn't matter what I have accomplished. It doesn't matter how effective I am at being a Christian and a leader. It doesn't matter at all anything about me. The bottom line is, Jesus loves me. And that changed my perspective. And it brought me out of a place of of very deep darkness and headed me on a path towards light. Now, it wasn't easy overnight. It didn't change everything about the circumstance and the situation I was in, but it changed how I felt at a core level that allowed me to move forward. And today I want to share with you that that message is true for you as well. Jesus loves you. And that is such a profound statement that it's enough to bring us even out of the deepest pit of despair. But I want to share it with you in the context of what Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus. And so, first thing I want to share with you is how Paul kind of came across the city of Ephesus. Um, As you may know, Paul originally had a different name. His name was Saul. And as, as Saul was growing up, he grew up under the Jewish leaders of the day. He was trained, we know, under a a man named Gamaliel, who was a very well-respected rabbi in his day. And as he came up, he saw the early church begin to form. He saw people turning their backs on the religion and the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the the scribes, and following after this man named Jesus. He saw these people beginning to meet in their homes and, and share their possessions with one another, and he saw it as a threat to Judaism. Because he saw it that way, Saul actually set out to persecute the early church. And so he was rounding up these new Christians, and he was bringing them before the Sanhedrin, before the council, and they were convicting them of leading basically a cult. And they were being cast out of the synagogues, they were being isolated from their Jewish relatives and their Jewish community members, and and they were being separated And some of them were even being put to death because they were following after Jesus. And Saul was right in the middle of all of that. In fact, he was so effective at it, they sent him out to outer cities to round up Christians in those cities. And on his way to Damascus one day, the Lord appeared to him. In a blinding light, Jesus appeared to him on the road and he says, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. And he sent him on into the city. He was blinded. And he was there for three days. And and finally, a Christian came to him because the Lord sent him. And he prayed for him. And scales fell away from his eyes. And he could see again. And he understood that God had a plan for his life. And what 
Saul did, his name then changed to Paul, and Paul went out and he began to teach people about the gospel, about the kingdom of God, about who Jesus really was. In fact, we know that Paul spent some time alone, probably about a year and a half to two years. He kind of went off by himself, and we don't really know much about that part of his story, but we believe that he studied the word. He was already trained in the ancient scriptures. He was already trained in what the the prophets had decreed about who the Messiah would be. And what was happening is all of these connections were being made in his mind. Here is the life of Jesus. And here is what was promised about the Messiah. And he saw that those perfectly lined up. And what Paul was able to do because of his intellect, because of his training, because of who he was and who God had shaped him to be, he was able to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. He went into the known world of his day and he was able to sit face to face with people who were Jewish in their background, people who were Greeks. He was able to sit down with people in the Roman Empire and he was able to reason with anyone about who Jesus was. And on his third journey, he came to the town of Ephesus. I say town. Ephesus was a bustling city. Ephesus had enough people, it's about the size of Rockwall, the city of Rockwall. It's a major city in this day and time. It was a port city, and so people were always coming in and out of Ephesus. And when he arrives there, he finds that there's already some followers, some believers there. And we're going to pick up that story in Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. It says this, It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus, and he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. All right, I think there's probably some people in churches today that would probably have that same testimony. If you're not reading your Bible, if you're not following what the Scriptures tell us, you don't hear what Jesus told His disciples, you may not know. There is a Holy Spirit that Jesus gives to His followers that seals us. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit later, but it changes us from within. And that's our only hope of salvation, is that God Himself changes our heart from within. Not we ourselves, but His Holy Spirit within us. They said, we, were, we, weren't, we didn't know about the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what were you baptized then? They said, into John's baptism. Now John, they're talking about John the Baptist. If you remember who John the Baptist was, this is what he says. Paul explained to them, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. John the Baptist was out in the, the countryside at the Jordan River, and he was preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he was telling people, it's time to turn your hearts back towards the Lord. And so these disciples, they believed that the kingdom of God was at hand. They believed that the Messiah was here. And they had heard about this baptism of John, and they had been baptized. Yes, we're repenting because we believe the kingdom of God is at hand. But they didn't know that Jesus had come. They didn't understand that Jesus was that Messiah and that he was going to usher in a new covenant, and that's going to involve His Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit residing within them. He goes on to say this. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in Him who was coming after Him, that is, in Jesus. And when they heard this, 
then they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they're like, well, we need to get, give me that too. <laughs> they, they said, we, we want to be baptized in the name of Jesus. If, if John's wasn't everything, if, if John was pointing to someone else and that someone else has come, we want to be baptized into that. And so they're baptized in the name of Jesus. And it goes on, he says, when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. They were in all about 12 men. And it says this, and when he, when he entered, excuse me, he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And so he takes these 12 men and he says, no, 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 there's more to this. It's not just about repentance. It's not just about cleaning your own self up. It's not just you know, pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's, it's about Jesus who came. It's about His Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of you. There's more to it than that. And then Paul takes these 12 and he goes to the synagogue, which is the center of worship for the Jewish people of that area, and he begins teaching about the kingdom of God. And he begins telling people, and this is going on for months, and then it says this, But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, that's what they call Christianity at this point, speaking evil of the way before people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Like, okay, we're, there's some opposition there at the synagogue, we don't want to stir things up. We don't want to cause a commotion. Let's keep meeting, but let's go over here to this other place, the school of Tyrannus. And it says this, this took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Ephesus was such a central part of this culture, such a central city in the, the area, in the region in which he lived, that people were always coming in and out of there. If you were a farmer in Asia, at some point or another, you needed to visit Ephesus in order to sell your wares and collect something to plant the next year. That was the, the center of commerce, and so everybody was coming in and out of that city, and it was such a move of God in this place that everyone in the whole region heard the gospel. This is what's going on in Ephesus. In fact, if you keep reading in that chapter, Paul has such an effective ministry there that he disrupts the economy. In fact, one particular sector of the economy is so upset by what he's doing that they run him out of town. It was the people who made idols and graven images. You see, they, they worshiped this goddess of named Artemis there. They had a great temple. And, and people would come there and they would buy these little statues and they would pray to them so that Artemis would bless them. She was kind of their patron goddess of that region. And what was happening is people were so convinced of the gospel, so dedicated to the Lord Jesus that they were like, oh, we don't need those idols. And they stopped buying them. And some of the silversmiths got together and they like, look, Paul's going to run us out of business if we don't get him out of here. So many people are convinced of this Jesus and following after the way that they are not buying our idols and we're going to be out of work. I don't know why they didn't just start making cross necklaces. I mean, was there not a Mardell, I guess, around to sell them? But, <clears throat> I mean, there had to be something that they could have done to, to shift or transition if they're only worried about money. But the gospel was so effective, it changed the economy of the area. It's amazing. 
And this is what Ephesus was all about. And Paul loved them. He spent years with them. These are his beloved people. And so when we look at the book of Ephesians, we need to understand that that is what Paul is doing, is he is writing back to these people that he, I mean, he lived with them. It wasn't just a church he had heard about. It wasn't just a place that he, he had maybe passed through along his way. This was a place where he had invested, where he had trained up people, where he had taught them the truth of the kingdom of God. And so when he writes this letter to them in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians as we have it today, we see and we, we need to understand this is Paul's heart to some beloved people. All right, so let's jump right in. What we're going to do is we're going to read the first 14 verses. We're going to go straight through them at first, and then we're going to back up and come back and, and, and spend a little bit more time. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1, when I first started talking about this with, with teenagers, this is where we encounter a lot of churchy words. That's what I would tell my students. All right, There's a lot of church words in here that if you don't stop and think about what he's saying... You may just pass right through it. In fact, these first 14 verses, sometimes they're just considered part of the greeting. This is just the opening statements. Like, yeah, 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 opening statements, fine. Let's get to the meat of it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We want to take some time and look at what Paul is saying to them because there are some significant truths here in the first 14 verses of Ephesians. So read with, <clears throat> read with me as we go. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning <clears throat> in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, which excuse me, His purpose who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Now listen, there's a lot there. Alright? And if you, if you really dive in and study this, there is, there's just so much to it. 
But the first thing I want to point out is this. In all of these things, you know, you learned in English class years ago, right, that a sentence has to have a subject and a verb. Did you ever learn that? A sentence needs a subject and a verb. At the very minimum, right? He ran, subject, verb, right? If you look through this and you see all these sentences, and and Paul is known for his run-on sentences, but there are verbs all through here. Lots and lots of verbs show up, and and we're going to look at some of these words, and we're going to study exactly what's happening, what these things mean. But here's the thing. To all but one of them, the subject of that verb, the one who is doing the action, is God. It's Jesus, His Son. It's His Holy Spirit. He's the one doing all of these things. All of these things we talked about, the the actor, the one who is is performing the action involved, is Jesus. It's our Savior. It's God. There's only one verb in here that is on us. That is on the recipients. And it shows up way down at the end. And this, it's in verse 13, it says this, In him also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. That's it. Your action, the action required in order to receive all of the blessings that he outlines here is simply to believe. And we're going to see this as a major theme at the beginning of the book of Ephesians that Paul is trying to make sure that they understand first and foremost that God has established them as His people. And it wasn't because of who they were. It wasn't because they were so special. It wasn't because they looked nice. It wasn't because they smelled good. It was because God loved them. Loved them enough to send His Son to die in their place. And that is the, the overarching theme of what's going on here. And so we're going we're gonna to back up and we're going to kind of take it a verse or two at a time. And we're going to look at what Paul is saying to this church and what he is saying again to us today. All right, in, in the first two verses, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus. All right, saint is a word that means people who are set apart. Right? When we talk about saints, we, we're talking about like, St. Christopher or St. I, I can't remember all my saints because I didn't grow up Catholic. I, I had some in mind. St. Joseph, St. Mary, right? And, and we, we talk about these people, and they're like elevated on a pedestal. Right? They're, they're people who have, have risen to certain matters or certain standards. Paul's saying to these people at Ephesus, he says, to the saints, you're a saint. You have been elevated to a position in which you have been set apart, not by men, but by God. God has set you apart as a people that are His own. And that's what Paul is saying to these people. He's like, look, you are saints. You are set apart. You are elevated because of who God is, what Christ has done. And he goes on, he says, grace to you and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to talk more about this word grace in the next few weeks. But grace, just so you know, my definition that that I learned years ago is grace is God's empowering presence to be who he wants you to be and do what he wants you to do. Now, that's a loaded thing, and we're going to get back to that later. But he's saying, listen, I want you to know I want grace in your life. 
I want you to have that in you. I want you to have grace for yourselves. I want you to have grace for others. I want grace to be something that marks you as a people. Because God's grace is everything to us. It is because of His grace that we have salvation today. He's saying grace to you and peace from our God and Father. In verse 3, all right, he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now listen, this is the work of the Spirit. What he's saying here is this, there are blessings that we have that we can't necessarily put our fingers on. Right? It's not something that we can, we can taste or touch or smell or see. All right? There are blessings that we have in our life that are spiritual blessings. There are things that, are, that we feel within our own hearts that we can't necessarily describe, we can't necessarily put our finger on, we can't necessarily pull it out and show it to someone, but we have something within us because of God's graciousness toward us. We have something within us that we can't describe. Paul is calling these things spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He's referring to this fact that we live in this physical world, but we are not merely physical. That there is a spiritual nature to us as well, and that we exist in two worlds at the same time. He's saying, listen, God has blessed you in that spiritual place. You may be blind to it, you may not understand it, you may not be able to sense it or describe it to someone, but it is a real thing that God has designed you to participate in, and He has equipped you spiritually in those places with blessings. And we're going to get into that more later too. Especially when we talk about putting on the armor of God for the battles that we're in later on in the book of Ephesians. It is these spiritual blessings that God has poured out on us. Verse 4, it says, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. I want to emphasize the word chose there. Did you know that God chose you? That God looked down on this world and He sees everyone and He looks at you and He says, I want you to be mine. That is a powerful word to take and believe in your own heart. God chose you. We know, we, none of us would have ever chosen Him on our own will. It is God who reaches out to us and He chooses us to be His believers, to be His followers, to be His children. God chose you. He wants you to be a part of His family. It's not just a blanket. You get caught up with everyone else. He looked at you individually and He chose you. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. In verse 5, it says this, He predestined us to adoption as sons. I really want to emphasize the word adoption there. God adopted you. So it's not like He chose you to be one of His minions. right? He didn't choose you just to be His servant. He didn't choose you just so that you could come and, and do His bidding. No, He chose you to be adopted. To be one of His children to be a member of His household, to be joined in with the inheritance that belongs to the people who are God's own family. Listen, this is saying a lot. 
He's telling this church at Ephesus and he's telling us today, listen, God has done a lot for you. And we need to start there. He's beginning the, verse, or beginning the letter to the church by saying, listen, remember who you are. Remember where you stand in the eyes of God. He chose you. He's called you to be His children. He's adopted you into His family. This is a huge, important deal for us to believe and to understand exactly where we fit in the grand scheme of things. It says, to the praise of His glory, of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. This is another major theme that shows up here in the Ephesians where it says it is freely bestowed. There is no price you had to pay. There is no test that you have to pass. There's no criteria, no hurdle that you have to get over in order to receive all of these blessings that we're describing here. It is freely bestowed. It is given to you. Christ Jesus paid that price. So that you don't have to. When Jesus went to the cross and He let His his hands and His feet be pierced, when He let His side be pierced with the spear, whenever He gave up His ghost, He was letting His life be given on your behalf. And it is that grace that is freely bestowed upon us. Verse 7 and 8. Now, we kind of have to, it gets a little bit more in the weeds here, so stick with me as we, we dive into these words here. He says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. I want to focus on the word redemption there. To redeem something is, means that you turn in something to receive in return, Right? You redeem a coupon, right? Take that coupon to the cash register and they redeem it for you. Well, Jesus redeemed you. We have redemption in Christ because He gave His life in order to receive us. We've been redeemed. It's free to us, but there was a price that was given. And your forgiveness, my forgiveness, it was bought with a price so that we are redeemed. I love the word that he uses here, which he lavished on us. You know, God doesn't just give us a little bit of grace. He doesn't give us just enough grace. He lavishes grace upon us. It's there. It's freely given to you. He paid the price so that it can be given to you. In all wisdom and insight, it says, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heavens and things on the earth in Him. Let me, let me kind of take this apart a little bit here. We, we could spend a lot of time dissecting this sentence. Right? This is one of Paul's famous Run on, what, what are you actually saying? And if you try to actually diagram the sentence, you need a whole sheet of paper to figure it out. But here's what he's saying is this, that God, in His wisdom, knowing everything past, everything future, everything present, all at the same time, God, in His infinite wisdom, sent Jesus at just the right time. 
And when Jesus came, it was just right. Everything in the heavens, everything on the earth, everything was perfectly aligned for Jesus to come at just the right time. And what Paul has done in his life is he has spent time pondering what God was up to, looking at what the Scripture said, seeing what all the prophets prophets were talking about with the Messiah. And what Paul has come away with is this. He's like, God was so wise. God had it perfectly figured out. Jesus came at just the right time so that everything would be as it needed to be. And Paul, and, and Paul is, his mind is blown so he can't even talk right as he describes to these people, listen, God knew what he was doing. Jesus came at the perfect time so that Paul could go on missionary journeys around the world. Without the Roman roads, he wouldn't have been able to do that. And, and there was a language that was common among all these people so that as he shared these letters and sent them out, everyone could read those letters. And people valued education so much that they took those letters and they preserved them and saved them so that even now we're unearthing, oh look, another stash of these letters that were sent around to all the churches. And we have preserved all these stories of who Jesus is. God knew what he was doing. And Paul, even in his day, recognized God had a plan. He had an administration in place so that everything was just right. That when Jesus came, it was perfect. And if God was that wise to send Jesus at just the right time, let me tell you, he is wise enough to help you find your way. Whatever trouble you're up against, whatever problem is before you, whatever hurdle there is in your life, turn to the Lord. He knows what he's doing. And he has a way of bringing everything together in a way that we can't even understand. Continuing in verse 11. Sorry, I've got, there's so much here, man. Verse 11, it says this. Also, we have obtained an inheritance. Listen, God has blessed us with adopting us into his family and there is an inheritance for you and for me. All of a sudden, we, we are belonging to a family that we didn't, we didn't deserve to belong to. And not only are we adopted in, but he, he bestows on us the inheritance. And I also point out this, that if you look at verb tense, if you really go back to English class and you think about verb tense here, he says, also, we have obtained an inheritance have obtained. It doesn't say will obtain. It says that we have obtained it. In fact, if you go back through this passage of Scripture and you look at all those verbs, this is all stuff that already we have. It has already been done in the eyes of God. It is already given to us. We currently have an inheritance in Christ that gives us power and authority here. It gives us, it gives us the ability to be His people. It gives us the the necessary resources that we need to do His will. God has already given it to us. We are living out this life as people who have received that inheritance. In verse 12, it says this, in the end that we were the first, excuse me, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. You know, For those of us who believe, it's not because of us. It's not for us. It's for His glory. Do you know that God has saved you not because you're so special, 
but because He is. And His love for you reflects more on Him than it does on you. Let me say it about myself. There is nothing about me that is worth saving. There is nothing so special about me that makes me somebody worth dying for. But God loved me enough. And the fact that God loved me enough that He sent His Son to die doesn't say that I'm so special. What it says is that He is so glorious, that He is so loving, that He was willing to go to the cross for me. And Paul understood that clearly. He was one persecuting the church, and yet God saved him. That's the kind of love that God has for you. Not only that, in him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him, the Holy Spirit of promise. Listen, God gives you His Spirit, places Himself within you. This is a mystery that's great for us. This is difficult for us to process and understand. I saw a guy try to illustrate this once with Tupperware. He said, you are in Christ. He had different sizes of Tupperware. He says, you are in Christ, but also Christ is in you. He had a smaller Tupperware inside. He's like, how can that possibly be? It doesn't make sense to our finite human minds, but God in His wisdom knows what He's doing. And if He knew how to send Jesus at just the right time, He knows how to plant His Spirit within you. And it's that Spirit within us that gives us hope. It seals us. It lets us know that we belong to Him. Now listen, we drown Him out sometimes. We... We fill our lives with so much noise that sometimes we can't hear the Spirit within us. We distract ourselves so much that we don't see His presence working in our own lives, but He's always there. For those who have believed, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, those that have been given to me, no one can pluck them out of my hand, is how He puts it. No one can take it. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Of promise. And it says this who is given as the pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now listen, we have the Holy Spirit now, but this is just a taste. There is something even better to come. Listen, we have a lot going for us right here. We have already received this inheritance. We have the grace of God lavished upon us so that we can be who He called us to be, so that we can do what He calls us to do. God gives us everything we need. It's all in His hands and He gives it freely to us and we just use it for His purpose and His glory while we are here on earth. And still there's more to come. What we have now in the Spirit of Christ, that is just a taste of what we will have one day forever with Him. And we have so much more to look forward to. God is going to use us in His kingdom forever. And yet, we still have a life to live here. So we don't just look forward to that day. We look at how we can utilize what God has given us now. But it all begins with this. Who are you in Christ? Who are you? 
And as Paul is talking to this church at Ephesus and he's speaking to us today, he's saying, listen, you are cherished in the eyes of God. You are loved greater than you can understand. You have been given everything you could possibly need. And the first thing that we need as Christians is we need to just sit in that knowledge of who we are in Christ. We need to understand that God has done everything on our behalf. You don't have to work hard enough to be good enough in His eyes. You don't have to impress Him in order to be adopted into His family. And you don't have to do anything to stay there. It is God and God alone who seals you with His Holy Spirit. To say it simply, it doesn't matter what's going on outside of you. Just know this. Jesus loves you. These first 14 verses of Ephesians, they are an overflow of what Paul has come to understand about who he is in Christ. And he is sharing it with his beloved brothers and sisters at Ephesus, saying, so are you. You are cherished in the eyes of God. You have been predestined to belong to Him. You have been adopted into His family. You have been welcomed into that inheritance. It is all yours now. There's a book that I've read. We read it in men's Bible study several years ago now. It's a simple book, and it was... uh, written down as a collection of teachings from a man named Watchman Nee. He was a a Chinese preacher um, years ago, back in the the 40s and 50s, I believe, maybe even earlier than that. And Watchman Nee wrote this simple book. It's called Sit, Walk, Stand. Just three words. Sit, Walk, Stand. And what it is, is it is a study in the book of Ephesians. And what he's What his main point is, and the purpose of that book is simply this. This is the the posture of a Christian on his journey. First, you have to learn to sit. The first thing you have to learn to do is just sit. See, we we talk about sometimes that it's, you know, for kids growing up, they, they learn to crawl, and then they learn to stand, and then they learn to walk. Or they crawl, walk, and then run. But in the Christian life, the first thing that God calls us to do is just to sit in the place where He has seated us. To sit in the knowledge that He has done everything on our behalf. The first thing, the first thing that God calls us to do is just to sit in His presence. Because He's already accomplished it for us. There's so much more I want to say. I'm looking forward to getting through this book together. It has had a tremendous impact in my life. But it starts with simply this. You have been given everything in Christ. Let that wash over you this week. I would encourage you to do this. Mark this passage, put a bookmark in it, and just read it again and again and again. He's saying a whole lot through this. There's a lot to it. And, it. and if you just read through it one time, you may miss what all he's saying. But just read this over yourself. 
It's a letter to you, those who have believed in Christ. And let it speak that truth over you. And may you understand who you are in Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that so many years ago, you had Paul pin this letter to a church at Ephesus, a place where there was lots of business going on, lots of activity, people traveling in and out. And yet, your words to that church are just as relevant to us today as we live among the people who are rushing around to do everything, as we ourselves are distracted by so many draws on our attention. Father, may we just sit in the truth of who you have called us to be, of what you have done on our behalf. May this week we just pause long enough to reflect on who we are in you. Father, I thank you for the truth that we find there that it is not about us. It is not us who have worked out our salvation. We haven't redeemed ourselves. We haven't adopted ourselves into your family. We haven't blessed ourselves with spiritual blessings, but all of those things were done by you, and they were done freely for us. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who resides within us, who helps us to understand your truth. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't drown out the voice of your Spirit within us with too much noise, with too much distraction, but Lord, that we would just sit in your goodness and your grace and they would remember who we are in you. And Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We serve a good Father. Listen, if you're wrestling with that inner critic, and if even you're in this stage of life where you've heard that criticism from outside, and it seems to be amplified around you, go back to this passage of Scripture. Find other passages of Scripture that tell us the same thing, that God loves you. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished. It doesn't matter how, how faithful you've been. It doesn't matter how good you are or what you've done. God loves you. And He has made all things possible for you. Just receive that love. Just sit and bask in it. Because it's there and it's available to you. Freely bestowed by what Christ has done on the cross. This morning, if you'd like me to pray with you, I'd be glad to do so. If you need to just sit quietly in your seat and pray, you can do that. If you want to sing at the top of your voice the words that we have here on the screen, we encourage you to respond to the Lord. But just know that you're loved.
Jewish people.